Chapter Eleven, Part Two of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Eleven, Part Two. There are mountains in Sicily two or three thousand feet high the tops of which are composed of limestone in which a large proportion of the fossil shells agree specifically with those now inhabiting the mediterranean however as in many other countries the deposits now in progress in the sea must enclose shells and other fossils specifically identical with those of the rocks constituting the contiguous land so there are islands in the pacific where a mass of dead coral has emerged to a considerable altitude while other portions of the mass remain beneath the sea still increasing by the growth of living zoophytes and shells the chalk of the pyrenees therefore may at a remote period have been raised to an elevation of several thousand feet while the species found fossil in the same chalk still continued to be represented in the fauna of the neighboring ocean in a word we cannot assume that the origin of a new range of mountains caused the cretaceous period to cease and served as the prelude to a new order of things in the animate creation to illustrate the grave objections above advanced against the theory considered in the present chapter let us suppose that in some country three styles of architecture had prevailed in succession each for a period of one thousand years first the greek then the roman and then the gothic and that a tremendous earthquake was known to have occurred in the same district during one of the three periods a convulsion of such violence as to have levelled to the ground all the buildings then standing if an antiquary desirous of discovering the date of the catastrophe should first arrive at a city where several greek temples were lying in ruins and half engulfed in the earth while many gothic edifices were standing uninjured could he determine on these data the era of the shock could he even exclude any one of the three periods and decide that it must have happened during one of the other two certainly not he could merely affirm that it happened at some period after the introduction of the greek style and before the gothic had fallen into disuse should he pretend to define the date of the convulsion with greater precision and decide that the earthquake must have occurred after the greek and before the gothic period that is to say when the roman style was in use the fallacy in his reasoning would be too palpable to escape detection for a moment yet such is the nature of the erroneous induction which i am now exposing for as in the example above proposed the erection of a particular edifice is perfectly distinct from the period of architecture in which it may have been raised so is the deposition of chalk or any other set of strata from the geological epochs characterized by certain fossils to which they may belong it is almost superfluous to enter into any farther analysis of the theory of parallelism because the whole force of the argument depends on the accuracy of the data by which the contemporaneous or non-contemporaneous date of the elevation of two independent chains can be demonstrated 
in every case this evidence as stated by m de beaumont is equivocal because he has not included in the possible interval of time between the deposition of the deranged and the horizontal formations part of the periods to which each of those classes of formations are referable even if all the geological facts therefore adduced by the author were true and unquestionable yet the conclusion that certain chains were or were not simultaneously upraised is by no means a legitimate consequence in the third volume of my first edition of the principles which appeared in april eighteen thirty three i controverted the views of m de beaumont then just published in the same terms as i have now restated them at that time i took for granted that the chronological date of the newest rocks entering into the disturbed series of the pyrenees had been correctly ascertained it now appears however that some of the most modern of those disturbed strata belong to the pneumolytic formation which are regarded by the majority of geologists as eocene or older tertiary an opinion not assented to by m e de beaumont and which i cannot discuss here without being led into too long a digression perhaps a more striking illustration of the difficulties we encounter when we attempt to apply the theory under consideration even to the best known european countries is afforded by what is called the system of the longmans this small chain situated in shropshire is the third of the typical systems to which m e de beaumont compares other mountain ranges corresponding in strike and structure the date assigned to its upheaval is after the unfossiliferous greywack or cambrian strata and before the silurian but sir r i murchison had shown in eighteen thirty eight in his silurian system and the british government surveyors since that time in their sections about eighteen forty five that the longmans and other chains of similar composition in north wales are post silurian in all of them fossiliferous beds of the lower silurian formation or landalo flags are highly inclined and often vertical in one limited region the caradoc sandstone a member of the lower silurian rests unconformably on the denuded edges of the inferior or landalo member of the same group whilst in some cases both of these sets of strata are upturned when therefore so grave an error is detected in regard to the age of a typical chain we are entitled to inquire with surprise by what means nine other parallel chains in france germany and sweden assumed to be anti-silurian have been made to agree precisely in date with the longmans if they are correctly represented as having been all deposited before the deposition of the silurian strata they cannot be contemporaneous with the longmans and they only prove how little reliance can be placed on parallelism as a test of simultaneousness of upheaval but in truth it is impossible for reasons already given to demonstrate that each of those nine chains coincide in date with one another any more than with the longmans the reader will see in the sequel chapter thirty one 
that mr hopkins has inferred from astronomical calculations that the solid crust of the earth cannot be less than eight hundred or one thousand miles thick and may be more even if it be solid to the depth of one hundred miles such a thickness would be inconsistent with m e de beaumont's hypothesis which requires a shell not more than thirty miles thick or even less mr hopkins admits that the exterior of the planet though solid as a whole may contain within it vast lakes or seas of lava if so the gradual fusion of rocks and the expansive power of heat exerted for ages as well as the subsequent contraction of the same during slow refrigeration may perhaps account for the origin of mountain chains for these as dolomieu has remarked are far less important proportionally speaking than the inequalities on the surface of an eggshell which to the eye appears smooth a centripetal force affecting the whole planet as it cools seems a mightier cause than is required to produce wrinkles of such insignificant size in pursuing his investigations m e de beaumont has of late greatly multiplied the number of successive periods of instantaneous upheaval admitting at the same time that occasionally new lines of upthrow have taken the direction of older ones these admissions render his views much more in harmony with the principles advocated in this work but they impair the practical utility of parallelism considered as a chronological test for no rule is laid down for limiting the interval whether in time or space which may separate two parallel lines of upheaval of different dates among the various propositions above laid down page one sixty four it will be seen that the sudden rise of the andes is spoken of as a modern event but mr darwin has brought together ample data in proof of the local persistency of volcanic action throughout a long succession of geological periods beginning with times antecedent to the deposition of the oolitic and cretaceous formations of chile and continued to the historical epoch it appears that some of the parallel ridges which compose the cordilleras instead of being contemporaneous were successively and slowly upheaved at widely different epochs the whole range after twice subsiding some thousands of feet was brought up again by a slow movement in mass during the era of the eocene tertiary formations after which the whole sank down once more several hundred feet to be again uplifted to its present level by a slow and often interrupted movement in a portion of this latter period the pampian mud was formed in which the megatherium mylodon and other extinct quadrupeds are buried this mud contains in it recent species of shells some of them proper to brackish water and is believed by mr darwin to be an estuary or delta deposit m a de orbigny however has advanced an hypothesis referred by m e de beaumont that the agitation and displacement of the waters of the ocean caused by the elevation of the andes gave rise to a deluge of which this pampian mud which rises sometimes to the height of twelve thousand feet is the result and monument in studying many chains of mountains we find that the strike 
or line of outcrop of continuous sets of strata and the general direction of the chain may be far from rectilinear curves forming angles of twenty degrees or thirty degrees may be found in the same range as in the alleghanies just as trains of active volcanoes and the zones throughout which modern earthquakes occur are often linear without running in straight lines nor are all of these though contemporaneous or belonging to our own epoch by any means parallel but some at right angles the one to the other slow upheaval and subsidence recent observations have disclosed to us the wonderful fact that not only the west coast of south america but also other large areas some of them several thousand miles in circumference such as scandinavia and certain archipelagos in the pacific are slowly and insensibly rising while other regions such as greenland and parts of the pacific and indian oceans in which atolls or circular coral islands abound are as gradually sinking that all the existing continents and submarine abysses may have originated in movements of this kind continued throughout incalculable periods of time is undeniable and the denudation which the dry land appears everywhere to have suffered favors the idea that it was raised from the deep by a succession of upward movements prolonged throughout indefinite periods for the action of waves and currents on land slowly emerging from the deep affords the only power by which we can conceive so many deep valleys and wide spaces to have been denuded as those which are unquestionably the effects of running water but perhaps it may be said that there is no analogy between the slow upheaval of broad plains or tablelands and the manner in which we must presume all mountain chains with their inclined strata to have originated it seems however that the andes have been rising century after century at the rate of several feet while the pampas on the east have been raised only a few inches in the same time crossing from the atlantic to the pacific in a line passing through mendoza mr darwin traversed a plain eight hundred miles broad the eastern part of which has emerged from beneath the sea at a very modern period the slope from the atlantic is at first very gentle then greater until the traveller finds on reaching mendoza that he has gained almost insensibly a height of four thousand feet the mountainous district then begins suddenly and its breadth from mendoza to the shores of the pacific is one hundred twenty miles the average height of the principal chain being from fifteen thousand to sixteen thousand feet without including some prominent peaks which ascend much higher now all we require to explain the origin of the principal inequalities of level here described is to imagine first a zone of more violent movement to the west of mendoza and secondly to the east of that place an upheaving force which died away gradually as it approached the atlantic in short we are only called upon to conceive that the region of the andes was pushed up four feet in the same period in which the pampas near mendoza rose one foot and the plains near the shores of the atlantic one inch in europe we have learnt that the land at the north cape ascends about five feet in a century 
while farther to the south the movements diminish in quantity first to a foot and then at stockholm to three inches in a century while at other points still farther south there is no movement but in what manner it is asked can we account for the great lateral pressure which has been exerted not only in the andes alps and other chains but also on the strata of many low and nearly level countries do not the folding and fracture of the beds the anticlinal and synclinal ridges and troughs as they are called and the vertical and even sometimes the inverted position of the beds imply an abruptness and intensity in the disturbing force wholly different in kind and energy to that which now rends the rocks during ordinary earthquakes i shall treat more fully in the sequel end of chapter thirty two of the probable subterranean sources whether of upward or downward movement and of great lateral pressure but it may be well briefly to state in this place that in our own times as for example in chile in eighteen twenty two the volcanic force has overcome the resistance and permanently uplifted a country of such vast extent that the weight and volume of the andes must be insignificant in comparison even if we indulge the most moderate conjectures as to the thickness of the earth's crust above the volcanic foci to assume that any set of strata with which we are acquainted are made up of such cohesive and unyielding materials as to be able to resist a power of such stupendous energy if its direction instead of being vertical happened to be oblique or horizontal would be extremely rash but if they could yield to a sideway thrust even in a slight degree they would become squeezed and folded to any amount if subjected for a sufficient number of times to the repeated action of the same force we can scarcely doubt that a mass of rock several miles thick was uplifted in chile in eighteen twenty two and eighteen thirty five and that a much greater volume of solid matter is upheaved wherever the rise of the land is very gradual as in scandinavia the development of heat being probably in that region at a greater distance from the surface if continents rocked shaken and fissured like the western region of south america are very gently elevated like norway and sweden do not acquire in a few days or hours an additional height of several thousand feet this can arise from no lack of mechanical force in the subterranean moving cause but simply because the antagonist power or the strength toughness and density of the earth's crust is insufficient to resist so long as to allow the volcanic energy an indefinite time to accumulate instead of the explosive charge augmenting in quantity for countless ages it finds relief continuously or by a succession of shocks of moderate violence so as never to burst or blow up the covering of incumbent rock in one grand paroxysmal convulsion even in its most energetic efforts it displays an intermittent and mitigated intensity being never permitted to lay a whole continent in ruins hence the numerous eruptions of lava from the same vent or chain of vents and the recurrence of similar earthquakes for thousands of years along certain areas or zones of country 
hence the numerous monuments of the successive ejection and injection of melted matter in ancient geological epochs and the fissures formed in distinct ages and often widened and filled at different eras among the causes of lateral pressure the expansion by heat of large masses of solid stone intervening between others which have a different degree of expansibility or which happen not to have their temperature raised at the same time may play an important part but as we know that rocks have so often sunk down thousands of feet below their original level we can hardly doubt that much of the bending of pliant strata and the packing of the same into smaller spaces has frequently been occasioned by subsidence whether the failure of support be produced by the melting of porous rocks which when fluid and subjected to great pressure may occupy less room than before or which by passing from a pasty to a crystalline condition may as in the case of granite according to the experiments of deville suffer a contraction of ten per cent or whether the sinking be due to the subtraction of lava driven elsewhere to some volcanic orifice and there forced outwards or whether it be brought on by the shrinking of solid and stony masses during refrigeration or by the condensation of gases or any other imaginable cause we have no reason to incline to the idea that the consequent geological changes are brought about so suddenly as that large parts of continents are swallowed up at once in unfathomable subterranean abysses if cavities be formed they will be enlarged gradually and as gradually filled we read indeed accounts of engulfed cities and areas of limited extent which have sunk down many yards at once but we have as yet no authentic records of the sudden disappearance of mountains or the submergence or emergence of great islands on the other hand the creeps in coal mines demonstrate that gravitation begins to act as soon as a moderate quantity of material is removed even at a great depth the roof sinks in or the floor of the mine rises and the bent strata often assume as regularly a curved and crumpled arrangement as that observed on a grander scale in mountain chains the absence indeed of chaotic disorder and the regularity of the placations in geological formations of high antiquity although not infrequently adduced to prove the unity and instantaneousness of the disturbing force might with far greater propriety be brought forward as an argument in favor of the successive application of some irresistible but moderated force such as that which can elevate or depress a continent in conclusion i may observe that one of the soundest objections to the theory of the sudden upthrow or downthrow of mountain chains is this that it provides us with too much force of one kind namely that of subterranean movement while it deprives us of another kind of mechanical force namely that exerted by the waves and currents of the ocean which the geologist requires for the denudation of land during its slow upheaval or depression it may be safely affirmed that the quantity of igneous and aqueous action of volcanic eruption and denudation of subterranean movement and sedimentary deposition 
not only of past ages but of one geological epoch or even the fraction of an epoch has exceeded immeasurably all the fluctuations of the inorganic world which have been witnessed by man but we have still to inquire whether the time to which each chapter or page or paragraph of the earth's autobiography relates was not equally immense when contrasted with a brief era of three thousand or five thousand years the real point on which the whole controversy turns is the relative amount of work done by mechanical force in given quantities of time past and present before we can determine the relative intensity of the force employed we must have some fixed standard by which to measure the time expended in its development at two distinct periods it is not the magnitude of the effects however gigantic their proportions which can inform us in the slightest degree whether the operation was sudden or gradual insensible or paroxysmal it must be shown that a slow process could never in any series of ages give rise to the same results the advocate of paroxysmal energy might assume a uniform and fixed rate of variation in times past and present for the animate world that is to say for the dying out and coming in of species and then endeavour to prove that the changes of the inanimate world have not gone on in a corresponding ratio but the adoption of such a standard of comparison would lead i suspect to a theory by no means favourable to the pristine intensity of natural causes that the present state of the organic world is not stationary can be fairly inferred from the fact that some species are known to have become extinct in the course even of the last three centuries and that the exterminating causes always in activity both on the land and in the waters are very numerous also because man himself is an extremely modern creation and we may therefore reasonably suppose that some of the mammalia now contemporary with man as well as a variety of species of inferior classes may have been recently introduced into the earth to supply the places of plants and animals which have from time to time disappeared but granting that some such secular variation in the zoological and botanical worlds is going on and is by no means wholly inappreciable to the naturalist still it is certainly far less manifest than the revolution always in progress in the inorganic world every year some volcanic eruptions take place and a rude estimate might be made of the number of cubic feet of lava and scoria poured out or cast out of various craters the amount of mud and sand deposited in deltas and the advance of new land upon the sea or the annual retreat of wasting sea-cliffs are changes the minimum amount of which might be roughly estimated the quantity of land raised above or depressed below the level of the sea might also be computed and the change arising from such movements in a century might be conjectured suppose the average rise of the land in some parts of scandinavia to be as much as five feet in a hundred years the present sea-coast might be uplifted seven hundred feet in fourteen thousand years but we should have no reason to anticipate from any zoological data hitherto acquired that the molluscus fauna 
of the northern seas would in that lapse of years undergo any sensible amount of variation we discover sea beaches in norway seven hundred feet high in which the shells are identical with those now inhabiting the german ocean for the rise of land in scandinavia however insensible to the inhabitants has evidently been rapid when compared to the rate of contemporaneous change in the testaceous fauna of the german ocean were we to wait therefore until the mollusca shall have undergone as much fluctuation as they underwent between the period of the leas and the upper oolite formations or between the oolite and chalk nay even between any two of eight subdivisions of the eocene series what stupendous revolutions in physical geography ought we not to expect and how many mountain chains might not be produced by the repetition of shocks of moderate violence or by movements not even perceptible by man or if we turn from the mollusca to the vegetable kingdom and ask the botanist how many earthquakes and volcanic eruptions might be expected and how much the relative level of land and sea might be altered or how far the principal deltas will encroach upon the ocean or the sea-cliffs recede from the present shores before the species of european forest trees will die out he would reply that such alterations in the inanimate world might be multiplied indefinitely before he should have reason to anticipate by reference to any known data that the existing species of trees in our forests would disappear and give place to others in a word the movement of the inorganic world is obvious and palpable and might be likened to the minute hand of a clock the progress of which can be seen and heard whereas the fluctuations of the living creation are nearly invisible and resemble the motion of the hour hand of a timepiece it is only by watching it attentively for some time and comparing its relative position after an interval that we can prove the reality of its motion End of chapter eleven part two